Somebody asked me how Miss Donna was, and I said, I don't know. You folks that's been to see her hadn't called and told me. Some of you have maybe not even heard, but Donna had a collapsed lung on Wednesday, has been in the hospital ever since Wednesday afternoon, and the news was between here and there from Miss Donna is that they are going to try to remove the chest tube that I call a rib tube because it's in the side, not the chest, but they are going to try to remove that, and Donna said... Please, please guarantee me that it don't have to go back in. And he said, there's no guarantee that it don't have to go back in. So since they can't guarantee it, I assured her that we would pray that it don't have to go back in because it sounds like they're going to remove that. And there's just a little spot on the lung that has not inflated back yet. So that was the news coming around the corner after crossing the bridge. Appreciate the prayers for her. So this week, would you turn your Bibles to Matthew twenty six thirty? And when you turn to Matthew twenty six thirty, God never ceases to amaze me. Because the last ten days I've been to three funerals, and in my 20 years of ministry, that's probably the most funerals I've went to in a row without standing behind the casket. Three funerals, ten days, and I have not preached to one of them. Now, I wasn't here last Sunday night because Trey flew us up to Wheaton, Missouri to be a part of Chris Bailey, Miss Misty Kester's mother's service. Now, Chris Bailey, never in the spotlight, and she proved that you can make a difference in the world and never be in the spotlight. Because they said on her visitation, on a cold, cold, windy day in Wheaton, 1,500 people come to her visitation. Funeral was packed. Quite a testimony for Miss Chris. But then on Friday, I traveled to Olive Baptist Church to sit on the back row and listen to Marty Brock preach David Martin's funeral. David Martin gave a testimony, he and his wife, right here behind the church. 1963 world champion calf rope. And in that funeral, in a building that was full of cowboys, full of calf ropers, Marty Brock real adamantly said, it's not even up for argument. Dave Martin's got more W's, that means wins, than anybody in this building. Then he said, secondly... I'm preaching my best friend's funeral. And then he said thirdly before he would preach it, now listen to this, in all the years of my ministry, 
I've never seen anybody finish any stronger down the home stretch than David Martin. Now, if you've been in the ministry as long as Marty Brock and you've been beside lots of deathbeds, that was a mouthful. For him to say, I've never seen anybody finish any stronger. So the funeral concludes. I fellowship with a few of the calf ropers and friends. And then Sissy, that's Marty Brock's baby girl. She meets me outside the church. She's headed back to work. I'm headed to Wellston. She says, you cowboys are cold-hearted as they come. I said, oh, we are. She kind of giggled like only sis can. And she said, yeah, Uncle Bobby, before he ever got out of the sanctuary, said, I can't believe Marty thinks that Dave's got more W's than me. She said, cold-hearted cowboys. I said, well, he said one thing that only is going to be true for a while. She looked at me and she said, did you struggle with you're not his best friend? And I said, no, because he said him and Dave was best friends. And he knew that because they would trust each other to carry the canteen if they was crossing the desert together. And your dad knows better than to give me the canteen if we cross the desert because I'd drink it all just to watch him suffer. Didn't bother me at all that he didn't consider me his best friend. I said the statement that he made wrong, and I looked at Sissy, and I said, because of David Martin's life and because of the sermon that I just heard, the statement that he made wrong, or I'm going to try to move him, prove him wrong on, he said he's never seen anybody any tougher on the home stretch than David Martin. And I said, I hope that's only true because he hasn't seen me go down the home stretch yet. I don't say that in arrogance. I say that because I knew David Martin. His life encouraged me. I say that because the sermon that was preached, I want to be the toughest down the home stretch of anybody. Not saying that in arrogance, but Dave, I want to be a 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to be the kind of Christian that runs the race as if to win the prize. And I simply said to Sissy, he'll have to change that if he gets to see me go down the home stretch because of David Martin's life and the sermon I just heard. So with that being said, coming out of Chris Bailey's funeral and coming out of Dave Martin's funeral, I was just sure that I'd surely preach and even halfway had it prepared how to finish strong. But then yesterday, David, you'll know you and I had a conversation about the very verse that I had you folks turn to. Dave and I on Monday talked about Jesus singing. And so yesterday I began to think, meditate, chew upon Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. If you got it right in front of you, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Now, how in the world could a guy preach a message off of that verse? And I want you guys to listen real close because look up here. After last week's sermon, not only a few here, but several at Telequal said, you're usually pretty easy to follow taking notes and we got plumb lost today. Well, if you got last, lost last Sunday trying to take notes, you probably need to put your notebook down today. Don't even try. But I'll try to do better for you. I think it's got two points. Somebody said, how many points does it have to have to be a sermon? And I said, better have one. I think it's got two. And the first of the, first, the, first of the two points is man's dilemma. See, mankind has a dilemma. And when I say mankind has a dilemma, see, that's point number one, sub-point. He's got a dilemma because of the fall of man. He's got a dilemma because mankind was created in the image of God and he was communing with God right there in the garden, Mr. Adam, Miss Eve, communing, walking and talking with God in a perfect place. And Adam was told by Almighty God, you can eat of every tree Except one. And in the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge of both good and evil, you shall surely die. And so here it is, this perfect world. Mankind and God walking and talking and communing together. The serpent slides in, now listen closely, deceives Eve. And because she's deceived, Adam just flat out disobeyed God's orders. And when he disobeyed, sinned against God, man becomes sinful, God's still holy, they're separated. Stand with me? That's a dilemma. Living life without God is a dilemma. Thank God he had a plan for fallen man. But even though he had a plan for fallen man, second sub-point under man's dilemma. Even if you get saved until God takes you, your second dilemma, you ready for this? You live in a fallen world. Even though you're saved, you still live in a fallen world. In other words, death is still coming, disease is still happening, despair is still all around us, we're still going to have to deal with droughts, we're still going to have to deal with floods, because fallen man now lives in a fallen world. So if you're a note taker, that's point number one. Man's dilemma, his dilemma is he's fallen, and he lives in a fallen world. I hope that simplified your note-taking. Point number two. God's desire. See, he knew man was going to fall, and he knew you would live in a fallen world, but he had a plan, and he had a desire. 
And if you want to see his desire, you can go in front of and behind of verse 30. So I want you to understand in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus and his twelve are in a room. Now here's where you ought to be listening real close. Jesus and his twelve are gathered in a room. And they are fixing to observe for the last time the feast of the Passover. You say, wait a minute, preacher. There's still people acknowledge the Passover. Let me finish my statement. Jesus and his twelve gather in an upper room and they partake of the last Passover that would be sanctioned by God. Then after partaking of the last Passover that would be sanctioned by God, the betrayer is Judas. He's exposed and then he's excused. Staying with me? That leaves Jesus and eleven. They've just observed the last Passover that would be sanctioned by God. But now what's fixing to happen, Jesus and the eleven are fixing to observe the first Lord's Supper that was sanctioned by God. Now there's many been partaken of, sanctioned, and even ordained by God. Are you staying with me? That's what's happened in this room. And after that has happened, verse 30, And they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So here's what I'm telling you. The last Passover sanctioned by God. You know what that was? That was when the four-legged lamb would be slain in Egypt. So when the death angel of God would come, he would pass over where the lamb, the four-legged lamb, the blood was applied. Are you aware that when the death angel of God come, some say he was looking for the Egyptian, huh? Some say he was looking for the Israelites. Uh-uh. When the death angel of God come, he was looking for the blood. And when he didn't find the blood, it didn't matter if it was the Egyptian or the Israelite. The death angel came in and took the firstborn. And this had been celebrated for all these years. And that was a symbol of what was fixing to happen. So that's the reason that would be the last time that the Passover would ever be sanctioned by God. Because now what's fixing to happen is it's the Lord's Supper and it's the Lamb with two legs. It's the Lamb of God that's being slain for the sins. This Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Are you with me? 
There is not a better picture in Scripture of the old passing and the new coming than right here in Matthew chapter 26. Got that? And so when this happens, Jesus and His disciples, they sang a hymn, they go to the Mount of Olives. Don't lose me. It's there that He's betrayed with a kiss. It's there that Judas brings the temple guard. They arrest Him, and then Jesus would go on to be in six different trials. Three of them was Jewish, three of them was Roman, but look up here and listen. All six of them immoral. All six of them illegal. Because Jesus was guilty of nothing they accused Him of. The only thing Jesus was guilty of is loving you and loving me and loving the whole world to the furthest degree. And so they arrest Him. They take Him. They tie His hands up to a whipping post. There's some burly men that begin to whip Him from the top of His head to the tip of His toe 30 time, 39 times with a cat of nine tails. His body beaten irrecognizable. And then He would take the cross with the help of another. And I'm convinced some would slap him with their hand open. Others would double up their fist if they smit him. Isaiah said they would pluck his beard out. They would mock him. They would rip his clothes off of him. And he went to Calvary's cross. It was there they placed that crown of thorns upon his brow. And it was there, I remind you, they didn't take his hands. According to John 10, 18, he'd give them his hands and they nailed him to the cross. Then He granted them His feet. They didn't take Him and they nailed them to the cross. And there He was suspended between heaven and earth on a busy thoroughfare, naked, beaten, unrecognizable with the blood, the sinless blood of the Lamb dripping off of His body. I hope you hadn't lost me. Before all that happened, and he knew that was going to happen, he wasn't crying, he wasn't trembling, he wasn't running, and he wasn't hiding. Folks, he was singing. Do you get a hold of that? He knew every bit of that was right around the corner. He wasn't crying, he wasn't running, he wasn't trembling. And he wasn't hiding. Did you read what he was doing? And they, that's Jesus. He was singing. I'm under the point of God's desire. Now why I'm so impressed is the first song that was sang at Telequal. See, because my feed woman's in the hospital, I had to start early, 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 early this morning. Under headlights. Hope I got it in the right trough. And I was headed back over thinking I would preach and was more prepared to preach how to finish strong. 
But at 7.45, I'm coming down Jones Road and I dialed Marty Brock and I said, hey, what's going on? He said, ain't you supposed to be preaching? I said, man, I got 15 minutes. He said, ain't you a little late? I said, no, not for 14 more minutes. I said, I need to know a song. He said, you're going to have to give me more than that. I said, I need to know a song. He said, give me more than that. I said, all I know is he keeps me singing as he goes. And right there, knowing I was 15 minutes from preaching, old Marty began to sing the first verse. And he come to that end. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. And what? Keeps me singing as I go. You need a title today? He keeps me singing as I go. God's desire is to give you a song. And God's desire is to keep you singing as you go. And when I come in, that's the first song that Mike sang. See, as a preacher, sometimes you've always got a message to preach. But you've heard me say it before. You want the right message for the right time. Somebody must need this message. That God desires to give you a song and He desires to keep you singing as you go. So, He's singing? He knows what's around the corner. He knows about the six trials. He knows about the plucking of his beard. He knows about the slaps of the hands, the blows of the fist. He knows about the cross. He knows about the crown of thorns. He knows about the nails. And he's singing. That makes me better appreciate what the Hebrew writer says when he tells you and he tells me that we ought to look unto Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith who the joy, the joy, what do you mean? The joy that was set before Him. It was joy to endure the cross, to despise the shame, and now sit down at the right hand throne of God. He was singing before the cross. He was singing and didn't despise the shame. Not only did He want to give us a song and keep us singing as we go, But he gave us an example of a song and singing as he went. So look here. I believe Psalms chapter 40. Come on, note takers. Man's dilemma. He's a fallen man in a fallen world. God's desire is to give you a song. And keep you singing as you go. It's not that complicated, note takers. And in Psalms chapter 40, David says, I waited patiently on the Lord and He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my steps. Are you ready for this? Has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God, many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. God's desire is to give you a song, keep you singing as you go, and the whole deal is others will get that song and they can sing 
as they go. See, God gives you a song. That's salvation. And I often tell people, and, and, and I'm, I'm starting revival services in Stillwell tonight, and when you get to watch people praise and worship, and you get to go in all kinds of different songs, I have noticed it, most of the women sing. But I've always noticed there'll be a group of men Did you realize Jesus sang? Because when you ask some men, why don't you sing? Well, I'm a man. Well, you're no man, no more man than Jesus was. Jesus sang. So if you're a man here and you don't sing because you're a man, let me tell you, you're not even close to the man that Jesus was. He sang. But let me tell you here, Young people, women, men, when Jesus saves you, you get a song. And when somebody don't sing because they consider themselves a man, and when men sing, I mean, sometimes the kids kind of chuckle. I've seen men sing, and, and women look at them like, oh, my gosh. But when a man sings, it means he's unashamed. Of what Jesus has done for him. He's unafraid of what anybody thinks. I want you to look up here and I want you to listen. I'm kind of like these two men that I'm fixing to talk about. I'm kind of like about as Adam and as Dave Martin had more W's. Marty Brock said he had more W's than any calf roper in the building. And, and, and I'm not going to argue that. And some of you may argue this, but listen, I'm going to give you two names. And I don't think there's any man in the house that's more men than these two than these two men. One of them is my father-in-law. You may think you're a man, but I don't know if you're the man that he was. I'm talking about a man when you travel out of state and somebody hears the barn's name. Do you know Thelbert? I'm talking about be 500 miles from here. Oh, he come through here one night and he whooped everybody in town, including the sheriff. Oh, he come through here one night and there was about 14 jumped on him. But and listen, he was the last one standing. They was laying everywhere. He got a hold of some Chris Oak Post and he went to working them over. I remember him when he took sick. Muhammad Ali died and he was the same age as Muhammad Ali and he was sitting there weak with cancer. Chris, and he looked at him, he looked over at me, he'd come over to our house to, to eat. Wanda had passed away, and he was sitting there, and he said, I think I could have whooped that old boy. He said, I guarantee you he couldn't have hit me. He said, boy, I'd have liked to try it. And he just chuckled. The other... His name was Bob Hazelwood. Six foot four inch Bob Hazelwood. And they tell me you didn't want to fight Bob. And I've seen Bob get mad at horses that nobody could do nothing with. And I've seen Bob fix the horse that nobody could fix. He was tough. 
I want you to look up here. You say, why do you talk about Thelbert Barnes and Bob Hazelwood? I'm talking about why don't you men sing? Let me tell you two of the men that touched my heart the most. It was Thelbert Barnes and Bob Hazelwood. Because I had the privilege of leading them into the greatest prayer that they've ever prayed. I've listened to both of them pray and ask God to be merciful to them and forgive them and come into their life. And you know what happened right after that? One day I watched Thelbert Barnes down at Tahlequah campus. Don't you tell me you're too much man to say. I watched Thelbert Barnes about three rows from the back, Dave. A man that I don't know if there was a man any tougher. And I watched him one morning at Telequa lift both of those old long arms. And I watched tears streaming down his face. And I watched him sing unto the Jesus that forgive him and saved him. And I thought if that man can sing, there ain't a man in the world that can't sing. And when I watched him, it took my mind back, Miss Georgia, to over there in that old building. And we were so packed. I was up in the choir loft and we were standing and singing and Bob Hazelwood was in the back corner and when they began to sing six foot four Bob Hazelwood tough as anybody I know them big hands I thought they was going to go through the ceiling when they lifted up and I watched tears come off his face and I watched him singing to his Lord I'm telling you if you're here if you're a little one if you're a middle one if you're a lady and you are a man and you have been saved you've been delivered from the wide road that leads to destruction you've been born again you've been washed in the blood Jesus has given you a song and you got to sing I can't carry a tune you don't sing because you can carry a tune you sing because he saved you you sing because he gave you a song you got that and so listen to me man's got a dilemma And God's desire is, I want to give him a song. I want to save him. Got that? But listen to me. It don't stop there. He wants to keep you singing as you go. And so here's this preacher. I'm a people watcher. God's desire is to give you a song and keep you singing as you go. That's his desire. The devil in this world's desire is to rob you of that song and keep you from singing as you go. Now, i got a question for you before I preach the rest of this message. You want to live out God's desire for your life or the devil's desire for your life? One wants to give you an abundant and full life and one wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Should I ask you again? Which one do you want to live out the desire? You want to live out the devil's desire for your life who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Or do you want to live out the Lord of this universe's desire for your life who will give you a song and keep you singing as you go? Well, as I watch people, it seems like there's more of them that's lost their song. Seems like there's more of them that's been robbed and they're not singing as they go. So here we go. What would keep you from singing? Number one, a lack of conversion. See, listen, 
You can come to church and you can sit on a church pew. But if you don't know Jesus, if you just simply know about Him, you can't sing with Him. You can sing about Him, but you can't sing with Him because you don't have the song yet. You got that? Is it possible to sit in a church seat every Sunday, sing about Jesus, but not be able to sing with Jesus? I don't know. You tell me. You may ever heard of Mark Trammell? Sings just a tick. Sings with some of the biggest groups, the Gaithers, the cathedrals. What a singer. But one day he's in Second Baptist Houston, Texas. He's singing, but on the golf course with the pastor Ed Young. Don't you love pastors that considers everybody lost until they hear a testimony? This guy is singing for us. But Ed Young began to witness to him and ask him about his conversion. And right out there on a golf course in Houston, Mark Trammell realized he had been singing about God. He didn't know Jesus. And on the golf course, he repented of his sins, gave his life to Jesus. And that night, guess what? First time ever that he got to sing with Jesus instead of about Jesus. Now that's his testimony. Go argue with him if you want. But he didn't have a song because he didn't have a conversion. Some of you here today, maybe you don't have a song because there ain't never been a conversion. But secondly, maybe you don't have a song because there's not been confession. So you got the song of salvation. But sin has come into your life. And because sin has come in your life... You've lost your song. Did you know the man that was after God's own heart? His name is... We know that. But did you know he was one of the sweetest singers that ever stood on planet earth? History tells us, Dave, that people would come by the palace and just lend an ear to hear the sweet songs that the king would be singing from his castle. Can you imagine? Honey, let's just take the day off. Boy, we've been working awful hard. She'd say, I agree, baby. That sounds just like me and Donna, don't it? I agree, babe. I said, won't we just jump on the donkeys? Won't we just ride down to the palace? See what song King David's singing today. I mean, that's what history tells us, Dave, that they would just load up and come by the palace and lend an ear to the beautiful song, and we got them all, many of them recorded, that he'd be singing. But then one day, sweetie, yeah, babe, let's go down to the palace. Just take a day off and listen to the king sing. They ended up by the palace. Ain't no song. Hun, what's wrong? I don't know. Maybe he's got bronchitis. Ain't no song. Well, let's just go grab a bite to eat. We'll come back. 
I don't know how long or how many times they come back and they lend that ear to the palace, but no song. Come on. What had happened? I'm going to tell you, that guy that used to have a song, he looked over at a neighbor's wife. He lusted. He brought her in. He committed adultery. He killed her husband. He lied. And I'm going to tell you, sin. And all of a sudden, there's no song. And then one day, the prophet shows up. And says, you're the man. Have you ever read Psalms 51? If sin's got your song, right here's how to get your song back. David took full responsibility. I don't know how good he'd do in our day and time. Nobody takes responsibility. He starts out by saying, I have sinned against you and you alone. He takes responsibility. But after he takes responsibility, he seeks reconciliation. And you get down to verse 12. Look at me. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He never was not saved. But he had lost his song. Nobody to blame but himself because it was his sin that robbed him of his song. He took full responsibility. He wanted reconciled to God and he cried out to God, I want my song back. I want to sing. I want you to open my mouth again that I may lead transgressors back to you. Give me my song back, Jesus. Look up here. Is somebody here today, sin took your song? Somebody here today, you're not saved. You don't have a song. But you're saved, but because of sin in your life, you've lost your song. Aren't you glad He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins? Let me put it like this. You're just a confession away to getting your song back. That's good stuff. Because His desire is to give you a song and keep you singing as you go. But as I watch the church, I'm thinking, man, I don't see the song. Could be because there's no conversion. Could be because there's no confession. But it could be because there's no comfort. See, Jesus promised to comfort us in this fallen world. He said, in this world, you're going to have what? Troubles. In this world, you're going to have what? Trials. You want me to put that in other words for you, Billy? This world is going to gut punch you. It's going to stab you in the back. It's going to punch you in the belly. It is a fallen world. Listen, just because you're saved and just because you try to walk upright and in God, righteous and holy, you still live in a fallen world. You still got a dilemma and it's all around you. Death's still coming to your family. Disease is still coming to your body. Despair's still coming to your community. Listen, you got droughts. You got, and the world will gut punch you but be of good cheer because I didn't only want to give you a song I wanted to keep you singing as you go and when you refuse to let the God of this world comfort you 
through the gut punches of this world, let me tell you something. You'll lose your song. Miss Georgia, I don't know if anybody else would remember it. But his name was Buddy Lytle. And Buddy Lytle could sing like a mockingbird. Buddy Lytle would sing at revivals in Texas and Oklahoma many times in front of Marty Brock. Serving the Lord, singing for the Lord. But let me tell you what happened. Life gave him a gut punch. And that one day his son, young man, on top of a cotton wagon, and because the dust was so thick, the high voltage lines, the electricity come through the dust, electrocuted, and killed his boy. And here's this guy that used to sing in revivals and bring praise to the Lord and grow the kingdom and, and, and all for the glory of God. And guess what? One day life give him a gut punch. And he refused to let the Lord comfort him. And he lost his song. Now I ask, Miss Georgia may be the only one to remember it. See, Marty Brock was close to him. He said, pray he gets his song back. And he went a long period of time with no song. And he called Marty Brock one day and he said, I got my song back. He said, I, I don't know how, how much I want to just bail in there and start, but if you know of a place where I could go and just begin to minister again. And our church was praying for him to get his song back. So it was no surprise for Marty Brock to tell Buddy Lytle, I got just the place. And one Sunday morning over there in that little old building, Buddy Lytle drove from the panhandle of Texas and he blessed us. And we got to watch him get his song back because the world had gut punched him and robbed him of it. Jesus' desire for you with the dilemma is to give you a song and not just give you a song. Keep you singing as you go. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know fills my every longing. And what keeps me singing as I go? You got a dilemma. You may not even have knew it. You live in a fallen world. God's got a desire to give you a song and keep you singing as you go. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Don't let the devil in this world rob you of your song. If you're here today and this world has delivered a gut punch to you, death, disease, listen to me. 
Let me tell you what I think's in these altars today. Let me back up. Let me tell you what's in these altars today. A lot of songs. And God wants to give them back to you people that the devil's robbed you from them. I don't know what life has delivered to you or what the blow is that's robbed you of your song, but these altars are full of songs. Isn't it time to take them back? Isn't it time to find your song? If it's because of a life's blow that your song's been taken, get up here, get it back. Get it back. Get your song back. If you're here today and sins come into your life, come and get your song back. It's just a confession away, man. It's just a confession away. Can somebody look at your life and trust the Lord, fear Him, or do they look at your life and laugh? But some of you is here today and you don't have a song because you've never had a conversion. If you're here today and you need a conversion, He wants to give you a song. So listen to me. This altar, it's full of songs. He wants to give you some the song of salvation. He wants to give some of you the song back that sins robbed you of, that sorrows robbed you of. Altars are open. Father, have your way in the hearts of us, your people. Father, I pray as men... When we see other men that's come to get their song back, we would join them, love on them, pray with them in these altars. I pray as women come to get their song back that women in this church would come and surround them and pray as we prayed for a buddy Lytle. Give them their song back, Lord. Father, these altars, they've got a lot of songs that need to be returned to where they belong. Father, have your way in the hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.